Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home on 101.5 Word FM. And now here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. And good afternoon. Welcome. That truly is real. The Kathy Emmons is with us in studio. Kath, good to Hi see you. Hi, guys. Pleasure. Happy Welcome to be back. back. Thanks for uh, covering for me in my absence. Excellent. Just look at the crowd goes wild. Hey. We're happy that you're back as well. So yeah. nice. Good to see you. Thanks, you guys. In all your travels, yeah. were you ever concerned that there was a time frame, 20, 30 minutes or so, that you could not access your phone? And by doing so, you would start to get a little twitchy? No. Well, apparently you're not an NFL football player because uh, there's a new coach, Cliff Kingsbury, who is coaching for uh, the Phoenix Cardinals. Brand Arizona new, Cardinals. Ar- sorry, Arizona Cardinals, yeah. He says, um, We'd like to include the whole state. That uh, according to ESPN, Cliff Kingsbury plans to let players, his big, strong football players, check their phones every 20 to 30 minutes during meetings and practice. He says, quote, You start to see kind of hands twitching and leg shaking, and you know that they need oh to gosh. get that social media fix. So we're going to let them hop over there and let them get back in the meetings and refocus. Probably not the best tactic for addressing the rewired brains of a generation that's grown up with social media, but it's the thing that we're going to do. That is ridiculous. They're going to stop practice every 20 to 30 minutes so you guys can go check out Facebook? That's weird. Doesn't that make you angry? No, it makes me... Oh, roll my eyes it at makes the me angry. pathetic intent of it all. You what, know, this I'm is like, what's happened so to us? What's the, the very last part of his quote that you read? I, yeah. I recognize that this isn't the right – what is it? It's right. not the best tactic for addressing the rewired brains of a generation that's grown up so, with social media. Okay, so how about the fact that you are their leader and so it's your responsibility to do right by these men? Right. I'm not saying you have to get into every little bit of their lives. Yeah. But – Keeping them away from their phones for three or six hours at a time, that's too much for you? That's incredible, isn't it? Are they doing that in the uh, – does NASA do that? Does the United States military do that? Does what? Whomever. How Someone? About, how about men and women who are doing their residencies in surgery? Oh, right. You're a brain surgeon and your, your hands start to twitch because you got to check out Instagram. That's so stupid. <laughs> where we, are. we are like enforcing our own stupidity. Yes. Okay, now you were on vacation. We're going to devolve. You took a little couple of days off. Yes. Did you try to stay away from social media? Yes, I know I did. Oh, good. I did. I, I posted some photos of where I was, which I rarely – I don't post very much on social media, um, on my own social media. But I wanted to because I had family – who you know kind of wanted to see where we were. Yeah. I traveled with my daughter. And so I did that, but I didn't go on hardly anything. In fact, when I I think yesterday in the airport was the first time I went online. Isn't that a weird feeling? It is. It's like visiting it's, an old you friend. You know what's interesting though? How easily, you know, be, because of the jobs that we have and the jobs that I would say a lot of our listeners have, being online is part of what you do. Yeah. And so it's just this is Life. this is your job. What was amazing to me is how unbelievably easy it was for me to give that up yeah i didn't care because it's not necessary it really isn't no it really isn't i mean i started being a little wiggy about what was going on in the world you felt like you were missing something yeah well i just felt like i was uninformed mm-hmm. you know what i mean so i felt a little bit of that yeah but i did not for a minute feel like well i gotta check and see what's going on on twitter hmm. 
I just didn't. Now, when I was in the airport and had to kill time, right. then it's different. Then you're looking for it. Like, of course you know, you you're looking yeah, for yeah, anything yeah, yeah. for crying out loud. Now, but, my, my wife, she does not look at any social media at all. At all. She barely watches the news. Oh, sorry, I'm kind of dinging here. Speaking of your wife, she's probably calling right now. Uh, it might be my son. That's oh, my son. Uh, and Mike Duffy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's in the next room. But she, she watches no social media during the day or any news. So when we come home for dinner, she'll go, okay, fill me in. Mm. <laughs> I'll go. So essentially, I'm her Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram in one. Well, first of all, it's much more pleasant because I'm sure you do a good job. Not bad. And second of all, it takes a lot less time. It sure does. And it makes it personal as opposed to impersonal, which is the problem with social media. It sure is. It's yeah. really not personal. i got to go back to this NFL coach. I don't. I've never heard of him, Cliff Kingsbury. I don't know where he came from, mm-hmm. but if this is his, it has to be his first gig as a head coach. Or I would have heard. I would have I heard. Know. I would have heard of him before. I don't know. He's doomed. Yeah, you might. Be. He's doomed. Oh, he started at uh, Texas Tech. Oh, so he's a college coach. Yeah. This is his first gig in the NFL. So he's used to hanging out with college kids. Okay. Well, you know what? These are not college kids. You, these are not college kids. These are grown men yeah. who are adults, and every single one of them, for the most part, is making more money than you. Yeah. So you have to enforce your leadership over yeah. those men. You're responsible for them. So act like you care about who they are. It's, he's treating social media like a water break. Yeah, I would say so. So I wonder. That's sick. Do you think that's the norm? I mean, does no, Mike Tomlin do this? How could that be the norm? Is this Bill Belichick? Who wants to stop their job every 25 minutes to look at social media. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. We do. <laughs> well, but we have to. Yeah, we do. Yeah, but if you're if you're working in media, sadly, that's part of the gig. Yeah. But if you're a banker, are you stopping every 25 minutes to look at Twitter? Probably people do, don't you think? In a bank? Well, you know, people, those phones no. are everywhere. No. At you night. You know that. At night, I can see that. Look, if you've got a desk job and you're on the internet all day, I can see you stopping to do that. But if you're, you know, baking bread, you're not stopping every no, 20 not. minutes to look at Instagram. But like people like, you know, here at Seven Parkway Center, you know, people go out and do smoke breaks, mm-hmm. right? They So much so that they had like sort of had to build like a little smoke shack, <laughs> right? Don't stand in front of the building. What's that thing called? I don't know what it is. It's like a little, I call it the smoke smoke shack. No, it has a much better name than that. Well, so it's a place where out. the smokers go and What's they the congregate. Mike, you know the name of that place out there? I thought it was a bus stop area. No, no. Well, it's, it does look like it a bus like stop. It looks like a bus stop yeah, area. Yeah, it's a smoke shack. No, yeah, but that's not what it's called. Ask Lynn. And the, is there the official HR name of that? Oh, yeah, it has an actual name. Okay. Because when they introduced it. Smoking area. No. no. When they introduced it smoking area. at Seven Parkway Center. They gave it, it some HR it, name. They, they gave it a name. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so as people do that, because you think, how many times, you know, your employer allows those smokers to go back and forth and have a little smoke break Mm -hmm. because the elevator smells like, you know, cigarettes. So how long is that? How many times a day do you get a smoke break if you're working for company X? I don't know. And I wonder how many people who go out for their smoke break are also on their phones. Of course they are. Right. Because they have to do something. Right. So if you're allowing a smoke break, then you should be allowing a social media break. No. Well, it's just how no. it is. If you're if you're acquiescing to someone's nicotine need, then you must also you must also acquiesce to their social media needs. It goes hand in hand. We're sick people. I don't agree with it, but we're I believe that's sick the case. People. Look, from the time you like when like so we're on the sixth floor, you say, I need to go outside and smoke a cigarette. You walk down the hall, maybe you go to the bathroom first, you get on the elevator, go down, walk outside to the smoke shack, which is probably a good four minute walk. Or so, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe three minutes walk. Not that far away. Smoke a cigarette. How long does that take? Make small talk. Check your social media. Then come back in. Walk back up the up the elevator. That's another 15 minutes, don't you think? Yeah, you're probably right. So. 
But seriously, okay, but look, look at the desperation in my eyes. Yeah. When we're talking about NFL athletes, they're supposed to be big, strong, testosterone-filled men, filled with maybe even more testosterone based on how many performance-enhancing drugs they're taking. Could be. But they can't go more than 25 minutes without Snapchatting somebody? Well, apparently, uh, Cliff Kingsbury believes that's not the case. Oh now, could you imagine what that would be like? That's going to be a bad team. That team is not going to perform well. No. That's my prediction. They're out there getting ready to punt, right? And they're all looking at their Snapchats. Coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about stuff that we know, stuff that we don't know, and stuff that we should know. Josh Brown's with us next. Belfield Presbyterian Church in the Oakland section of Pittsburgh on today's Ride Home. WORD. If you're walking through infertility, Matthew Arbo says there's an important truth you need to remember. You're not alone. There is a God who loves you and is present to you at all times. And you have many in your community who have open arms. If you'll let them in. Walking close with God on the difficult journey of infertility. Next time on Family Life Today. Tomorrow morning at 9 on 101.5 Word FM WORD. Creation Fest 2019 is coming. Join us with your family and friends for a weekend of worship like no other. Over 70 artists like Skillet, Hillsong Worship, Crowder, Elevation Worship, 10th Avenue North, Mendisa, Carrie Joe, and Ledger. As well as over 15 speakers like Bob Liggs, Reggie Dabbs, and David Nasser. Be a part of the creation worship experience set in the beautiful mountains of central Pennsylvania. Next summer for four days of music, camping, and family fun. Creation Festival is returning to Agape Farm in central Pennsylvania. June 26th through the 29th. Go to creationfest.com to find out more. That's creationfest.com. It will be the highlight of your summer, maybe even your life. The tradition, the suspense, the race. Here's your chance to experience the Kentucky Derby firsthand. Rocket Mortgage is giving away 20 VIP trips to Churchill Downs to witness the Kentucky Derby. And one lucky winner will receive $250,000 toward a new home or pay off their mortgage. Enter today at homestretchsweepstakes.com. No purchase necessary. 21 years or older. Ends on April 7, 2019. Homestretchsweepstakes.com. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. And MLS number 3030. Introducing the new $5 biggie bag from Wendy's. It comes with a new bacon double stack made with a quarter pound of fresh, never frozen beef and topped with crispy apple with smoked bacon. Plus four nuggets, fries, and a drink all for just five bucks. That's right, just five dollars. The new five dollar biggie bag from Wendy's is everything you could ever want. Well, at least for lunch. Try Wendy's new five dollar biggie bag today. Biggie bag includes four piece nuggets, small fries, and a small drink. Fresh beef available in the contiguous U.S., Alaska, and Canada. Approximate weight before cooking. Price and participation may vary in Alaska and Hawaii. Brightview Landscaping, the nation's largest commercial landscape company, is hiring seasonal crew members and leaders. If you like a job where you can work outdoors with consistent hours and real advancement opportunities, apply in person tomorrow at the Word FM Job Fair. Details at wordfm.com. Dentistry, in my opinion, shouldn't be a fear-inducing experience. And it really, I think, goes a long way for patients when I'm able to develop that one-on-one relationship with them. Exceptional dentistry meets compassionate care at StockFamilyDentistry.com. 
Each month, we talk to Josh Brown. Josh is the pastor of Belfield Evangelical Presbyterian Church, which is in the Oakland section of the city of Pittsburgh, right there on Fifth Avenue. Josh, welcome back. Hey, how you guys doing today? Good, Josh. We can't complain. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Hey, Josh. Uh, so today, you want to talk to us about First John five thirteen through twenty one. Uh, do you want to read the scripture first? Is that the best way to go? Uh, sure, I can do that if you'd like to. Yeah, just it's not that long of a passage, right? So, no, it's uh, not. And and um, I don't know how much you preface this, but uh, this is a passage that uh, out at Belfield we've been we've been doing a little study through the series recently, um, preaching through that on Sunday mornings. And this is uh, the end of the letter. So, like a lot of letters, uh, even outside of Scripture, like a lot of letters, you you kind of want to put together your summary thoughts and sort of you know conclude your main point there at the end. So John is doing that. That's what this passage is, just to give a little context before okay. I read it. Uh, this is the end of his letter, so he's weaving together a lot of themes that he's been addressing the whole time. But, but here's how he ends this. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. And yeah, so, that's how John ends his letter to the church, and uh, we believe this is a they indicate this is a, a letter that, uh, as far as we can tell, was circulated very widely and broadly. It was not addressed to one particular congregation, so uh, some people think maybe it was a sermon, even of sorts, that John circulated. So th- this was something that he was writing to, kind of the church at large, and that's the way he ends. I see. So when I hear you talk about that, uh, the title of your sermon there is uh, "We Know," right? That John wants us to know certain things about Christ. He does, yeah, and what it means for us to be in Christ. It, it, it's uh, if anybody is following along or even just, even just listening, there are seven times in those final few verses where he says either "we know" or "I write this so that you may know" or "so that we may know." So he's not really trafficking in uncertainties there. He, he's saying there there are things that we can say that you need to know that you need to remember and embrace as you're sojourning through this world. And I want to I want to put those out there for you. Mm-hmm. So knowing is different than thinking about. It's different than wondering about. It's different than um, I'm hoping for the best. Yeah, I think so. I think that's true in pretty much any area of life. And uh, as you, a lot of people listening may be familiar with, uh, typically when you're thinking in uh, in the biblical thought world and even in the lay language there and the kind John is using, it is definitely more than just some kind of intellectual data that you have collected. There's 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 a relational, there's an experiential aspect to it, and particularly the kinds of knowledge he's talking about there. I'm not just giving you guys trivia points here, he says, but these are the things that you know in a very experiential way. There's a relationship with Christ that grounds these things beyond just uh, kind of sort of vague speculations. Right. That, in many ways, what he's saying here is that Christ brings life, right? He says that, yeah. That, that's a main theme. If you, if you read through First John, and it's not a terribly long letter, ideas of the life, 
uh, light and love that Christ brings into this world are just, they're, they're woven all throughout there. And he says it at the end here, that he begins by saying, I want you to know that you have eternal life in the Son of God. And says that in a few different ways in there. Uh, one of the other main points, he talks about, uh, we, we know that we can pray with confidence. And he talks about what that looks like and why we go about that. And he says also, we know that we, we cannot keep on sinning. And those are all themes that he's brought up many times in the letter. So he's kind of driving them home there once more at the end. Josh, talk about his audience here. So I, I'm wondering why John thought it was so important um, to keep emphasizing the fact that there are things that we absolutely know. Um, do we have any idea what the people were experiencing? Or, you know, you said that it was widely circulated or maybe a sermon of his. Um, why do you think or can you extrapolate why this idea of knowing is so important? Uh, well, I hope this doesn't sound trite, but I mean, it, his audience was people, and we all, all of us, at any, in any time, in any place, need to be reminded of these things. So, um, you know, for you and I here, as much as anybody, uh, that, that is an important thing, that de- there are things that we can stand on very firmly, things that we can ground ourselves in. For his original audience, uh, I think John, in particular, is writing that way. He's writing this, again, as best we can tell, probably near to the end of his life. So John is that He's that generation of eyewitnesses. The church is at a point there where the, the actual eyewitnesses to the life and ministry, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, were, were kind of fading out. Mm-hmm. And for somebody who was in that generation, you know, today it would sort of be akin to there, aren't, there, aren't, there are fewer and fewer people who are eyewitnesses to the events of something like World War II, right. for example. Right. Um, we're kind of in that point right now where, where there are, uh, some of the last eyewitnesses are are passing away. And I guess it, it could be similar to that in a way, where you have somebody who says, hey, I, I was there, I saw these things. Right. So, so, Josh, when you say that, when you say that John was there, I mean, he essentially saw just about everything, didn't he? He did, yeah. You know, John was the beloved disciple. He has that uh, that kind of name given to him, and, and somebody who wrote, um, again, I would believe it's the same person who wrote the Gospel of John, the Book of Revelation. So he he was writing a lot of the things uh, that he wanted to make sure that the church had heard. And the letter, this letter begins in a very interesting way, where he, he kind of sets that out in the beginning. He says, look, I, I saw this, I heard this. Mm-hmm. I, he talked, When he calls Jesus the Word of Life, he says, the Word of Life appeared, and I saw it, I heard it, I touched him. Um, I want you to know that kind of where this is coming from, first of all. When you mentioned earlier, Josh, about the World War II generation passing away, I thought about um, different Holocaust survivors that we've had on our show here. And that same type of urgency that, like, I need to tell you what I saw. And I need for you to understand that these were things that actually happened so yeah. that you can really believe me when I tell you that, that you can really be a person who is going to be most likely alive after I'm gone and you're going to believe the same thing because you're going to believe what I'm telling you about it. And, you know, that type of insistence and that type of that need to say there are things that we know that we're all going to need to remember. Yeah, I think that's a great point of comparison, Kathy. And um when you read First John, if you read that letter, there, you can, at least when I do, I mean, I, I can hear a sense of urgency in, in his words. There's, there's an excitement. He's definitely got an excitement uh, and a very conviction, very strong conviction about what he's writing. But I think that sense comes through. What I find really fascinating, though, is that in the, in the passage right before the one I read, 
Um, John, for as much as he's been saying, hey, I was there, I saw these things, I heard these things, he actually uh, points past himself. Mm-hmm. And it's in, the, in, in verses 6 through 12, he, uh, there's twice in that section where he says, this is the testimony that God has borne mm-hmm. concerning his son. So there's, there's a balance there where John is also saying, I, I also don't want you to believe these things just because I am telling you them. Uh, I saw them, and so I want to make sure you know that. But this is ultimately the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. It goes beyond me. There, there's a more significant witness that has taken the stand. Mm-hmm. Isn't and it, that's the most important thing. Yeah, isn't it interesting, um, how, Josh, how today there's a, there's like a, a phrase going around, you know, that, well, I need to tell you my truth, which yeah. in a lot of ways is just a colloquialism, and I get that, and so it's just a way people speak. But I do think it probably points to something that's deeper than that, which is that People in the West now are starting to, and have been for, of course, decades, but I think particularly now with the advent of the internet and the advent of, you know, quote unquote, fake news, that people think that truth is different depending on who's telling it. Yeah, that that is certainly a trajectory that's been happening. It's been accelerating, I guess, in in some recent years. Um, It's not a new one, though. Uh, You know, some of the ancient Greek philosophers had the expression that man is the measure of all things, and there's an element to that where you're even saying, hey, I I am ultimately the only standard to which I can compare anything. And, uh, well, well, in the way they were phrasing that was not related to kind of the subject of truth that we talk about. There's still that... It still has that uh, core idea of, uh, I am the only thing that I can use to validate anything. Right. And, um, the and, John's writers, not, and John's specifically not saying that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's saying, uh, the, the whole point, of it, again, the letter begins, I'm here to tell you what I saw and, and the things that Jesus Christ said and did and what that means. And this is God, ultimately, this is God's testimony. Right. Uh, I want to point you towards that, so... So I, I wonder, Josh, you know, as you came in, you said this may have been a sermon at one point. Certainly was widely circulated. I wonder how that was received and, you know, the audience. And you know, because what's being said here, we're used to this because we've read this multiple times. But to hear this the first time, and especially if you didn't know Jesus, if you weren't around, this had to be earth shattering for a lot of people. I think it was. Uh, it seems like John, some some of the stuff that John is writing about in this particular letter, it seems to presume at least a base knowledge of the gospel. So this, this one may have been a little bit less of a, I need to tell you the things that you've never heard before, and a little bit more of a, I want to really drive these home with you, especially because one of his ideas is you need to love one another. This is how we know we love God when we show a love for one another. So um, certainly he's reminding them of the gospel, but really trying to drive that home. And um, I'll tell you one thing that was interesting is we did this in, in a series out here at the church. There was uh, One of the weeks was when we had a little bit of a snowstorm, so we just kind of changed things up that week uh, with our schedules and our worship and stuff. And what I decided to do that Sunday was actually just read the whole letter. Hmm. Um, and I introduced it and, and kind of explained to folks ahead of time. I said, this is what this is what the early church did, from what we can tell. Uh, when Paul, at the end of Colossians, is where he says, "Hey, make sure you read the letter from Laodicea, and make sure they read this one from here." He says to Timothy, "Devote yourself until the to the public reading of Scripture." So, when these letters were sent, that is, from what we can tell, happened. People would gather, and someone would read it. So, we did that one Sunday, and I, I was I didn't know how it would go. <laughs> I felt like I was stepping out. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right, we'll just see what happens with this. Um, the feedback was really, really interesting to me. I had a lot of people afterwards come up and say, that, that was actually really cool. I've never heard never heard just like a whole letter just read. Red. 
out loud straight through and and to think that that's what people did originally that that's probably what the first audience did was mm-hmm. was kind of a neat thing and for me it only took about 11 or 12 minutes so it was even a shorter sermon than, yeah. <laughs> than normal uh for me, it was interesting because when you hear it, it there are the repetitive themes about loving one another, the love that God has shown for us. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. They just, you, I mean, they even just hear them so rhythmically repeated, mm-hmm. you walk away from there with a really, you may not remember every single detail, but you think, oh, all right, I know what John is getting at. Hmm. We're talking to Josh Brown from Belfield Evangelical Presbyterian Church in the Oakland District of Pittsburgh. Um, Last question for you, Josh. For people who've never read the letter, um, 1 John, or maybe even have read any of the Bible, haven't read the Gospel of John or the Book of Revelation or 2nd or 3rd John, um, what's distinctive about John as a writer? Well, I, I'll take I'll take Revelation out of that mix because it's a little bit different. It's an entirely different genre, entirely different sure type of thing. But the Gospel of John and his letters, um, what's distinct about them is that it's it's very accessible. I mean, all all of Scripture is accessible. All of Scripture is stuff that we can read and understand. But John writes in just a very pretty simple uh, way. I, I don't mean that as I don't mean that to minimize it in any way. But even the original language is a very kind of a simple level of the Greek, so it's just very very accessible. It's very easy to understand what he's getting at. He uses a lot of imagery and a lot of metaphor, but even in that, they're ones that are. You know, you're not kind of left wondering, well, what's he trying to get out with that? That's a weird thing. It's uh, Even the imagery and the metaphors and the things that he uses are, are one to just drive it home. Uh, so John is, that's why a lot of people will recommend, yeah, read the Gospel of John if you've never done anything before. Right. Um, it, gives a, it gives a wonderful portrait of this is who Jesus Christ is and what he's done and what that means. And the letters kind of supplement that. Um, so I think that's, that's why, Kathy, it's, it's just a great way to mm-hmm. see pretty clearly this is who Christ is, this is what he's done, this is what it means for us. Very nice. Josh Brown from Belfield Presbyterian Church. Hey, Josh, take a second and uh, tell us about Belfield. Yeah, we're located right in the Oakland section of Pittsburgh, so we're in the midst of some of the university and medical communities there, and we uh, feel like it's a great privilege to be able to minister to those groups there in Oakland. We're an intergenerational church. We've got folks from all areas and walks of life and ages and uh, gathering together to just learn what it means to be a disciple of Christ in, in every area of life and take that back out to our, our homes and workplaces uh, um, and care for the Oakland community where God's put us. Well, thanks, Josh, for being with us. We always appreciate it. Always a good conversation. Yes. Josh Brown, information about Belfield, you can find him online. Yep, First John five thirteen twenty one was our conversation. Hey, stick around. we got uh, something really fun next. Unplanned based on a life-changing true story. My name is Abby Johnson. I used to be the director of this clinic. The Daily Wire says Planned Parenthood is not going to like it. America wants abortion, which is why we exist. Glenn Beck says you have never seen anything like this. We've managed to make an enemy of one of the most powerful organizations on the planet. Unplanned. In theaters March 29th, visit Unplanned.com for tickets. Rated R. There's a lot going on right now, and broadcasters are on the ground covering all of it, bringing you the weather, the traffic, and breaking news, all while entertaining you 24 hours a day. Someone needs to tell you what's going on around the world and in our hometowns, and that someone is us. We are free radio. We are always there. We are broadcasters. Visit wearebroadcasters.com or text radio to 52886 to learn more. Furnished by NAB and this station. Right now, there's a child living in extreme poverty with no future and no hope. 
but you can bring hope when you become a Compassion International sponsor. Just text the word CHILD to 83393 and sponsor a child right now. At the Word FM Job Fair March 28th, Home Instead Senior Care is offering a $1,000 signing bonus for professional caregivers. Becoming a trusted partner for aging seniors with Home Instead definitely has its benefits. Details at wordfm.com slash jobfair. As we start 2019, we so much appreciate the support of one of our newest clients, Grove City College. So thanks to everyone at GCC, John and I, and everyone here at The Ride Home are grateful for your partnership. Clear to partly cloudy tonight, not quite as cold as last night. The low 37 degrees tomorrow becoming mostly cloudy and milder. With a passing shower or two in the afternoon, highs right around 60 degrees. Mild tomorrow night with clouds and a shower, low 48. Cloudy for Friday with a couple of showers, high 58 degrees. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Danielle Niddle on 101.5 Word FM. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank not you. to me. Not or, to you. Not I. Mike. It's not to any of us. Who's our fr- when's the next birthday for us? Uh, oh, oh you, you're, you're next. And then I'm right after you. Very nice. He's not till September. Okay. Um, but celebrity birthdays today, um, I want your feeling on these people. Okay. <laughs> Mike, are you ready for this? Because this is going to be a good one. <laughs> I don't know if I am. Oh, no. I don't know. Oh, no. John, how do you feel about Fergie? Fer- oh, Fergie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. Fergie, Ferg. Fergie is one of those people that um, if I fell over Fergie, I, I would not know, know Fergie. I wouldn't either. I know the name Fergie. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some loose tendrils to her talent, but that's about <laughs> it. Tendrils to her talent. That's what I got. That's what I've got. Yeah. You have an idea how old she'd be today? Fergie. No, I really don't know. Okay. Uh, 34. Yeah, she's 44. Okay. Okay. You're 10 years yeah, off. Usually you're a lot closer than that. Yeah. I got no idea. Okay. Forget that. What, so tell me, school me on Fergie. I can't school you on You Friday. got nothing? No, Black Eyed Peas. Mike, you got Black anything? Black Eyed Peas. And she loves Taco Bell. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. That's it? Yeah. That's all I got. Mike, but, you have anything else other than that? Um, we know who she is. I know she's Fergalicious. Yeah, well, we all know that. I know her of. Wait, yeah, think, she, was she in Black Eyed Peas? Black Eyed Peas? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. She's 44. Okay. She's Happy 44. birthday, Ferg. Mariah Carey. Whoa. Today's Mariah Carey's birthday. Oh, yeah. gosh. <laughs> Uh, are you asking me her age? Oh, I'm asking you what you think of her, and I also like for you to guess her age. Pretty much the same thing as the Ferg. Um, again, no. I only see her like through the tabloids. I'm like you know I'm in right. line at the Giant right. Eagle. See, that surprises me a little bit because Mariah Carey has had a much oh, longer yeah career right you know, you know than although why she still has a career is a little bit of a mystery Beyond to me. Why is that? Tell I don't understand. Why. She sounds horrible. Does she, she sounds. Remember the New Year's Eve. Was oh it three gosh. years ago? I, I saw it live. It was so awesome. What did she sing? She was perform. I don't know what she was singing, but she was performing at Times Square. Oh, I remember this. I saw this too. It was. It was at my house. We saw this. No, I was at my house. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, I remember because one of my kids was sick. All right. And um, it was one of the years we missed your New Year's thing, which is was a shame for us because it's awesome. Anyway, she, you know, the the microphone didn't work, mm-hmm. at, and so she was not able to sing. Except that her, you, it still sounded like she was singing. So of course we realized that she was lip singing. The 
the dancers that were supposed to be there weren't there. I mean, it was just an absolute mm. visual audio debacle <laughs> on live TV. She was wearing a white, a white yes, outfit. Yes, and That's what I there remember. was fur involved, right, and right. it was a disaster. How old mm. do you think Mariah Carey is? Uh, because who she is, who she is, um, my guess is it's not a big one, but it might be close. So I'll say 49. 49 for Mariah Carey. We good? Hey. Wrong. Oh no! Wrong. That is that is correct. No way. Oh, yes. thank you. See, so you you correct. didn't believe that he would get it, but he Mike. did. Oh, you have little faith, my friend. Yes, forty nine okay. years old. That's unbelievable. Mariah Carey. Quentin wow. Tarantino. Whoa, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, Your feelings. Your feelings. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this a good three? I mean, I just... okay. Now there was a time, you know, like early on uh, in like Pulp Fiction frame. As brutal as that film is, uh, there's a lot of masterwork in that movie. Okay. That's as a, a hard film. He's a hard filmmaker to, to like because he's so raw and so ugly and often unpredictable in the violence and shock. I've stopped watching him. Really? I have. Why? I've, I've, have you changed? I'm sure I have. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. Has it's he just, changed? He, he's excessive. In an age of excess, Quentin Tarantino is excessive. So I choose not to. It's just way over the top. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just too much. Too much to bear. Any films of his that you like? Would you put Pulp Fiction in a list of films you like? Yes. Or films you appreciate? Maybe if yes. you don't like it. Yes, I'd certainly like. Uh, I appreciate it. Okay. Would I watch it again? Probably not. Mike, your feelings. Sorry, I wasn't. I, oh. I wasn't I was, <laughs> I'm currently listening to uh, the Fur Delicious song. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Uh, okay. I've yeah. never Telling, seen a Quentin Tarantino you film. Never, never. I never oh, have yeah. seen a Quentin Tarantino film. Oh, what are you watching, Mike? Oh, uh, Pulp the, Fiction. What was the latest Western I don't know. that just came out? Hateful with, uh, Eight. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. I've got, a, I've got a friend who's a big Quentin Tarantino fan, and he, you know, he tells me what's going on. What made Pulp Fiction a, if not an enjoyable film, a good film yeah. from the perspective of filmmaking? Well, because it, well, uh, it had um, Samuel L. Jackson, who was, oddly enough, quoting scripture as he was killing people. Um, that unto itself was br- brutally shocking. Plus, there was this weird sort of kitschy mix of music, and uh, it was just over the top. Okay, so what was the point? It's nihilism on okay, parade. So that's the point? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So I, is he is is it a is it a cultural statement that society has become too much of everything? Yes, and I think he's a one hit wonder in that he plays that same tone. Whether it's in a, he just changes locales, whether it's in Los Angeles or you know Old West Montana or wherever, it feels the, the same thing again and again and again. How old do you think he is today? I would say Quentin Tarantino is sixty three. You're off this time. Oh. He's only 56. Oh. Wrong. Sorry. 56. Well, he's had a heck of a career at 56. Yeah. Anyway, so he's still producing yes, he current films. Yeah, yeah you can he tell, is. I, I have no connection with him. Whatever your connection with Fergie, mine That's is Quentin less Tarantino. with Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. All right. Well, happy birthday to Fergie, Quentin Tarantino, and Mariah Carey, <laughs> even though we comment otherwise. Coming up next, um, conversation on the House floor, U.S. House, um, having kids. Is that the thing that's going to save the world or the thing that's going to ruin the world? We'll talk to Ann Kennedy about that next.
91.5 WORD. Okay, everybody in the car. Where are we going, Daddy? On an adventure. Yay! Adventures in Odyssey. It's not just a kid's show. It's a show the whole family can enjoy. Listen on this station. Adventures in Odyssey, tonight at 8 on 101.5 Word FM, W-O-R-D. Jen had a very busy day today. Really busy. First, she dropped her kids off at daycare. Then she had a few minutes before yoga class for a coffee. Small latte, please. And then she saved a few lives. Nurse, two units go negative. One, an injured child. Another, a cardiac patient. And then, a premature baby. All because Jen logged on to bloodsciencefoundation.org and made a financial donation. There, done. You see, local blood donors provide only about half of what is needed to treat patients. The other half has to be purchased and relies on financial donations from people like you and Jen. So, what have you done today? To make a financial donation that saves lives, visit bloodsciencefoundation.org. Blood Science Foundation. Giving from the heart. Robinson Township Christian School celebrates a 40-year legacy of producing college-bound, lifelong learners whose lives are marked by wisdom, knowledge, and a compassion for others. At the airport area's only K-12 classical Christian school, students grow to love learning think deeply, and communicate effectively from a biblical foundation. Robinson Township Christian School, now enrolling preschool through 12th grade at rtcsonline.org. This Easter, celebrate the life of Christ as you break bread with family and friends and leave the cooking to Bistro to Go on the North Side with simply delicious gourmet creations sure to make your event memorable. Like brown sugar baked ham with pineapple sauce, maple glazed turkey with gravy, Bistro Pecan sweet potato casserole, whole chocolate mousse cake, and so much more for intimate gatherings to grand events. All reasonably priced for pickup and ready to serve. Order now at bistroandcompany.com. Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville has everything you need to protect your car or truck all winter long. Say goodbye to winter grind with an extreme detailing to help preserve the life and look of your vehicle. Got a new car? Protect your investment with TST Rust Remedy, the most effective rust control system you'll find anywhere. And spray-on bullet bed liners offer extreme protection tested in the most extreme conditions known to man. Call the Extreme Team now at 412-257-1006 or visit extremetruck.net. 412-257-1006, extremetruck.net. Now on a brand new night, it's Word FM Skate Night at Neville Roller Drome. The first Wednesday of the month, join Kenny Woods and a live Word FM audience and skate to your favorite CCM hits with prizes and giveaways 6.30 to 9 p.m. You could win a free skate night for your family or youth group. Admission $7. Skate rental just three more. Pastors and youth pastors skate free. Word FM Skate Night at Neville Roller Drome continues Wednesday, April 3rd. Groups over 30 must register in advance. Email info at skatenrd.com. I don't know if we've ever had a moment like this in American or world culture where there is a lot of consternation and hand wringing about children. Is having kids. No, I think it's been coming. Really? Yeah, I remember maybe. Well, I mean, since the. Um, since the population control movement started. 60s. I mean, it started in China 
you know, probably in the 70s, right? right? But you think about with, 1960s. Yeah, 60s, it kind of started, it started yeah, with here. The, with the rise of the pill. Right. And all of a sudden, we're, we have so many mouths to feed, and we have so many billions of people on this planet, right. and it's going to be so small, and there's not going to be any water, and we're all going to die. And so the most responsible thing to care for the earth is to not have any children. Right, which turned out to be rubbish. Right. And then there was a, a guy whose name has kind of escaped me, which is probably speaks to my psychological health that I've forgotten because he was going on a college tour uh, maybe three, four years ago, going around and speaking to college students about how if you're concerned about climate change, the number one thing you can do to care for your future in the future of the planet is to not have children. Right. Right. Because certainly the best thing for the planet is if there aren't any humans on it. <laughs> right. Because our so-called carbon footprint, right, right. ruining is, ruining is, is so extreme. So right. this is a conversation that's been going on for a long time, but right. just uh, with the advent, or not the advent, I shouldn't say advent at all, with the proposition called the Green New Deal by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez about six weeks ago, um, and the fact that it was voted on just a few days ago on the floor of the Senate, it was brought up by Mitch McConnell, uh, some conversation came up about this because Mike Lee uh, came onto the, onto the floor and said, hey, and he... This is in the midst of a lot of things he was talking about. But one of the things he said is, I recognize that part of the Green New Deal is the limitation of people having children. And I'm here to tell you the best thing you can do for the planet and for you is to just have kids. On the floor. Have a family. Very That's nice. what he said. And, uh, of course, AOC came out on Twitter after that and said, look, if this guy can say this and he's such a moron and he can be elected to an actual place in the U.S. Senate, then you can do You should be able to do whatever you want. Right. So is having kids or not having kids more selfish. That's kind of been the conversation. Uh, Ann Kennedy's back with us again. She's the author of Nailed It, 365 Sarcastic Devotionals for Angry and Worn Out People. Anne uh, lives in upstate New York. Her husband, Matt, is an Anglican priest. Anne herself is the mother of six children. So, Anne, you did not heed those new socialist ways advice. No, I turned out to be the most selfish person yep. in the world today. <laughs> and that's actually, and why we've had you on the show, because we voted we and you won. Right. So good. The giant I carbon. Something. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. The massive carbon footprint that you've endowed. Right. So, Anna, yeah. you're familiar with this conversation that's been going on for decades and decades, but it just came up in the last four or five days because of the conversation that's been going on politically amongst people in the, uh, in the U.S. House and Senate. Yes, and I saw, um, I did see all the tweeting back and forth about the vote, but I was particularly charmed to see um, two women who were very, very new age, um, sort of channeling some kind of spirit, and they had their arms in the air, and their mother and daughter, which I thought was fascinating, and the one older woman says, you know, you just can't have kids. I'm sorry. She just says, I'm sorry. You just need another way to make a difference in the world. So just stop doing that. And it was so she, her voice was almost like a church lady. So I was, I was utterly mesmerized by her. Um, and I thought, well, how selfish of you to have your daughter with you on um, this program that your YouTube channel. Um, you shouldn't have done that if you're, um, you know, if you really care about the earth. So but you should be apologizing for procreating. Yes, I know. Like, how come you got to have a daughter and I, well, I had four daughters, so I'm also selfish. But, um, no, I, it's baff, it's a very interesting trend to see that having the most basic thing to being human, one of the most basic things, you know, there's eating, drinking, sleeping, um, worshiping something, 
and having children. That's a basic part of human existence given by God and uh, that it's, you know, that's not okay anymore. No, we've turned the corner, that's for sure. So, Anne, as the mother of six, when you and Matt go out with your family, I'm sure people look at you. Oh, well, we don't go out anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's too stressful. I mean, I certainly would never shop anymore with all my kids. And when I buy a lot of food, which I fill a huge grocery cart every week at Aldi, the grocery, the checkout person makes comments to me, which I, you know, I give him a baffled stare Mm -hmm. and just don't respond because he makes comments about the amount of food I'm buying. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, but you're, I'm making your store go on. So you, you know, my selfishness is not that selfish. Um, But yeah, I don't, we don't go out much altogether because... Uh, we look so scary, and um, our carbon footprint is amazing, even though we all fit in one car, so we don't have two cars. Very nice. <clears throat> all right, so Anne, what's at the heart of this? I mean, this is postulating. We can't know anyone else's heart and what they're thinking, but we can look at a cultural trend. Um, and when I saw this guy, as I said before, whose, whose name um, is not at the, at the uh, forefront of my mind anymore, who went around to college campuses and had a captive audience of students between the ages of 18 and 22, completely absorbed in the calamity of climate change. And his response was, well, if you really care about the earth, the number one thing you can do is not have kids. Where does this come from? I know that this isn't what people say, but to me it seems like a, just a sort of a, hope, a hopelessness, like mm. a giving up. You know, we don't, there isn't anything, you know, the earth is the, the greatest good, I guess, and we've spoiled it, and we might as well give up. I'm, I know that's not what people say because I tried to say that on the Internet and everybody got mad at me, but... It seems, you know, it's a combination of selfishness. You know, I should get to go on. My future should be better, and I should have a comfortable life. And that's ruined if you have a lot of kids because then there won't be enough for me. I think that's part of it. And then the other part is, well, I might as well give up because what's the point? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think... You know, the interesting thing about God is that as long as, you know, as long as you can have babies, there's hope because God hasn't given up on humanity. You know, when he when there's nothing when he's done, we'll know about it. So until then, we should have hope. We should um, invest in people beyond ourselves. And I think the fascinating thing is that, you know, previous generations thought that children would invent new things you know they would come up with ways another generation would come up with ways to deal with the problems that we have now there was an optimism and that's not there anymore you know the children of today aren't going to be able to figure out how to you know get water and food they're just not they're not going to be smart enough Mm -hmm. not as smart as we are so we might as well give up um that's what it feels like to me and I also think there's a hefty dose of idolatry, of course. Right. You know, yeah. we right. will worship ourselves, um, the ones who are here right now, and the ones who can't make it here yet, who aren't allowed to be born well, you know, 
that's their problem. (laughs) Anne Kennedy's with us, author of Nailed It, 365 Sarcastic Devotionals for Angry and Worn Out People. She blogs every day at preventinggrace.com. And um, in my my current friend group, and I mean friend group, um, to limit it to people who are my age, I'm starting to see something that's kind of interesting to me. because I'm seeing people who chose not to have children who are my age um, and who now are starting to regret that choice and are starting to feel as if they've missed out on having children. But at the time when those choices were being made, when we were in our 20s and 30s, um, it was we were all educated and enlightened. All of us were. I mean, I remember this and I was one of those people. Um, And we wanted to have careers and we wanted to make a difference and we wanted to be well-read and we wanted to be communicative and we wanted to eat at nice restaurants and drive nice cars and all of those things. I mean, I was one of those people, Anne, that when I had my first child, I didn't know what to do. I truly didn't. I I, I couldn't figure out how... I fit into the world without having a job. And so this is something, now, I I was very blessed with two children, um, but I think about so many of my friends who chose not to have kids, and I think, oh gosh, you you know, it's it's, it's the unspoken thing. It doesn't even get, it doesn't even get brought up because it's very, at this point, deeply painful. I mean, and I, I think that's one reason why it's helpful for the whole culture to say, there, there, don't have children. It's better for you that you didn't. Because then, you know, you can, you don't really have to deal with that grief or that choice. Uh, So that's, you know, that's one way that we collectively deal with the fact of more and more people choosing on purpose not to have children and a great loneliness. Because, you know, the gift of children, and God God says they're a gift, even though they don't feel like it at all, (laughs) um, is that they pull you out of yourself. I mean, that's... The salvation of having a child, yes. even for somebody who's not a Christian, is that you are forced out of yourself, which is a little picture of the gospel. And if you um, if you say a no to that categorically, that choice follows you into you know all the relationships that you're ultimately going to have. It's a it's a it's a really terrible choice, of course. And people who can't have children know how difficult that is. You know, it's kind. Of, it's a horrible thing to, you know, not be able to have children and then have to look at somebody who says, oh, well, I don't want to. I could, but I don't even want to. Right. Um, right. It's, I think it's a, there's a cultural pain um, of, of the deep selfishness that we, that we sowed where we were reaping as a whirlwind. And um, it, it, so, of course, to assuage our, our guilt, and our sorrow over that, we have to say, this is good. We shouldn't have had kids. Is having kids or not having kids more selfish? We've been talking to Ann Kennedy, author of Nailed It, 365 Sarcastic Devotionals for Angry and Worn Out People, just like John and Kathy. That's not in the title, really.
This is a special notice to all U.S. taxpayers. If you owe the IRS or state back taxes and cannot afford to pay them back, there's good news. Due to the financial hardship many are facing in today's economy, the IRS has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems through a federal program called the Fresh Start Initiative. Qualifying for this program will resolve your tax problem, end all collections, and possibly reduce your back taxes by up to 90%. If you are facing wage garnishments, liens, bank levies, audits, or payroll taxes, it's not too late. Your circumstances may qualify you for this special program, protecting your savings and your assets. If you owe the IRS or state back taxes and cannot afford to pay them back, there's no need to worry anymore. Call the hotline at Victory Tax Solutions to see if you qualify and potentially save thousands. For this free information, call 800-813-1105. 800-813-1105. That's 800-813-1105. Unplanned, based on a life-changing true story. My name is Abby Johnson. I used to be the director of this clinic. The Daily Wire says Planned Parenthood is not going to like it. America wants abortion, which is why we exist. Glenn Beck says you have never seen anything like this. You've managed to make an enemy of one of the most powerful organizations on the planet. Unplanned. In theaters March 29th. Visit Unplanned.com for tickets. Rated R. There's the job you have and the job you deserve. One that rewards your talent, your education, your goals. One that values loyalty and hard work. One that makes you feel like you're making a difference for yourself, your family, your world. Find it Thursday, March 28th at the Word FM Job Fair, 11 to 3 at the Pittsburgh Plaza Hotel Green Tree, where high-caliber companies find high-caliber candidates like you. There's no harm in looking, and it's free to attend. The Word FM Job Fair, presented by Salem Media Group. Details at wordfm.com slash jobfair. You know, they say the best is yet to come. But to make that true for your retirement, you need a plan. We'll start by tuning in for Your Retirement Blueprint with Kurt Kenotic and Ethan Lane with Accurate Solutions Group every Saturday morning at 10. Kurt and Ethan can help simplify the retirement planning process. No technical terms or calculations, no product pushing, just the information you need for retirement. Don't miss Your Retirement Blueprint with Kurt Kenotic and Ethan Lane of Accurate Solutions Group every Saturday morning at 10 right here on 101.5 Word FM. Chicago police have come out swinging today. Just this afternoon, they released the the full 61-page investigative report on the Jesse Smollett hate crime hoax. Whoa! Now, this is only this is less than 24 hours after all the charges against him were dropped. Yeah. Um, the release of the documents. Um, this was about the. 16 count indictment against uh, Jesse Smollett and uh, he was given a pass yesterday he was given a pass saying that he was going to serve the community he did already and oh he already has oh, so yeah, he doesn't have to serve it no. okay so he's already served the community and he's already paid $10,000 to the city which is good based on his you know work as an actor i'm sure 10,000 was hard for him to come up with right right um so about an hour after the department released the files the chicago Re- police reportedly became the subject of a court order that barred them, I bet it did, from releasing further files, even though they were widely available online already. Wow. So the police are just absolutely hacked off. Do you remember the police chief the day after Jesse Smollett was was arrested, him saying, listen, like we don't have enough problems here. Like this yo-yo is going to come in and make something up. Right. Can you imagine how hot that guy was? So all those man hours, all that investigation, all right. that time spent, yada, yada. And because right, and you're a well-placed celebrity and you paid some $10,000, mm-hmm. you're scot-free. 
Right. And that's wild, isn't it? Yeah, so I wonder if the police chief knew about this before it went out. Chicago politics. Sharing the word that changes the world. 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh, a service of Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. The wife of Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido was welcomed Wednesday at the White House as she rallies international support for the ouster of President Nicolas Maduro. Fabiana Rosales says through an interpreter there's a fight for life or death in her country. Venezuela is going through a terrible crisis. The power crisis is very serious. Children are dying, are dying in hospitals. Children are dying because they have no food. The United States was the first nation to recognize Guaido as interim president, asserting that Maduro's re-election last year was illegitimate and it has stepped up sanctions and other diplomatic measures in the hopes of forcing Maduro to give up power. On Wall Street, the Dow by 32 points to 25,625. The Nasdaq dropped 49. The S&P lower by 13. Oil down 53 cents to 59.41 a barrel. This is SRN News. It's so nice now that the kids are asleep. Cheers. We got the kids, our house, a stable income. Checking off all the boxes. But there's one box we haven't checked off. What's that? Life insurance. We don't need to think about that now. We're young. That's why now is the best time. Life insurance gets more expensive the older you get. But I don't have time to do a blood test. It's such a hassle to meet with someone just to get a quote. Not with Ethos. Ethos? It's a modern kind of life insurance. You just answer four quick questions at GetEthos.com and get a free instant quote. No pushy salespeople. And no medical exams required for policies covering under a million dollars. You can apply online in just 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Let's do it. Hmm, but then what will we do for the rest of the night? I'm sure we can think of something. (laughs) Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to GetEthos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. GetEthos.com. GetEthos.com. On April 5th, don't miss The Best of Enemies, starring Academy Award nominee Taraji P. Henson. I play Anne Atwater, a civil rights activist who was able to approach hate with love. And Academy Award winner Sam Rockwell. All the better if you don't get in my way. Well, I'm going to get in your way. If you change one heart, you can change the world. I have a Bible. Then you ought to know. Same God made you, made me. The Best of Enemies, based on the untold true story. Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters April 5th. Share, like, comment, tweet. Are these foreign terms to your business? They may not be to your competition and the reason you're losing sales. We're Salem Surround. We take the mystery of digital marketing off your shoulders, letting you run your business while we deliver customers. We offer a free analysis of your digital marketing effectiveness and suggest methods that could dramatically increase your sales. Learn more by logging on to surroundpittsburgh.com. Surroundpittsburgh.com. Connecting you with new customers. Today's world craves leaders. Leaders with vision, moral character, and independent thinking. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And since 1986, Rama Christian School in Moon has laid the foundation that makes leaders. 
through academic and extracurricular activities designed to be as instructional as they are competitive, through mission and service opportunities, arts and athletics, an independent school where pre-K through 8th grade students are formed to become the independent leaders of tomorrow. Schedule a tour at RamaChristianSchool.org. My neighbors always ask me, hey Pete, how do you keep your yard so nice? Pete makes it simple with a Scott's Turf Builder feeding program. It's the best way to get a greener, stronger lawn, guaranteed. All it takes is four easy feedings, just once in early spring, late spring, summer, and fall. Providing your lawn the nutrition and weed control it needs to stay lush and green. So, now you know my secret. This is a Scott's Yard. Pick up a Scott's Turf Builder program today. The Ride Home with John and Kathy. Driven by Calusi Chevrolet. Serving the Pittsburgh area for over 100 years. Clear to partly cloudy tonight, not quite as cold as last night. The low 37 degrees tomorrow becoming mostly cloudy and milder. With a passing shower or two in the afternoon, highs right around 60 degrees. Mild tomorrow night with clouds and a shower, low 48. Cloudy for Friday with a couple of showers, high 58 degrees. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Danielle Niddle on 101.5 Word FM. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home on 101.5 Word FM. And now here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. It's a gorgeous blue sky. It's fabulous. Temperatures that are warm. I would say, you know, we've been sort of so tepid with the advance of spring, but spring is here. When you say so? I feel good about it. Yeah. I do. I mean, I was in uh, California for the last five days, and the temperature is was the same yeah. there as it was here today. Really? And in I was California. in Southern California. Yeah. So it was not like it was an 80-degree trip. Every, every day, the high was like 60. Nice. 61, something like that. But it was beautiful, bright, and sunny. And so as sad as I was to leave that spectacular part of the world, and it is so spectacular, mm-hmm. I got up this morning and I was like, look at this beautiful sunshine. Yeah. It followed you this way. Uh, yeah. Now, the only thing I heard is it's going to get precip. Should I bring it up? Go ahead. It's going to be really cold Sunday. Yeah. But it's going to be like 70 on Saturday. So right. go figure. So just plan on go to church on Sunday morning and stay in. Right. Okay, so here's my thing. Because last year I didn't have a yard. My yard got tore up for various sundry reasons. Now this year I'm watching. Like oh, my, no, you're like on the gardening channel now. I, no, I'm looking at the, the <laughs> grass because I had no grass. I had mud in my yard. Now I'm looking at these tiny little shoots individual green shoots mm-hmm. popping up in my yard. And I'm like Cheering I'm them on. rooting for the – yeah, just love it so much. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Monday's opening day for the Pirates. I mean, home opener. And you know what I'm excited about is mm. that the three of us are going on opening day, Mike, are, right? The three no, of us? you are not. You're not what? going. What do you mean I'm not going? What you do guys, you mean I thought we were – you got no, no, three no, no, tickets. No, 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 I got three tickets. But you know, No, my, my wife's going and my boy's going. We not, got uh, – What? Listen, guys. Hey, here's the deal. Listen, I'm the I'm kind of like the work wife. We have and, you're, and he's kind of like the work boy. He kind of, <laughs> out of everything that we've done for you, John. Yeah, yeah. exactly, Mike. Thanks for no, bringing it up. I believe you know. In the years past, I've always had to like sort of like you know work hard to get tickets. This, you could probably walk into PNC Park on you know Monday with no problem at all. That's my guess because it's Fan Apathy Day. It's Fan Apathy Day. No, we're, but we're those, not. But we're not choosing to be apathetic, are I'm we? Not, no. You have you have demonstrated your. Hope for the yes. future by buying those three tickets. I and am. even though you have ignored 
New Mike and myself, right. we also are feeling optimistic about it. Yes. Because yes. tomorrow's opening day. Yes. And, and there is nothing but potential on the horizon. Listen, the only problem is we can have a we can have a really pretty good team this year. But we're in the the central, which is stacked. Don't you deep. just like when you look Cardinals, at what the Cubs Brewers, did? Cubs. And, oh. That's a problem. Oh, but if everything would go right for the Pirates, which Remember is a big when if. the Central used to stink? Yeah. Wasn't that good? We stunk with Wasn't them. Wasn't that fun? Yeah. But, but te- we didn't stink as well as much as they stunk. Remember when she- So technically we're the David and everybody's the Goliath. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah. Remember, Milwaukee used to stink. Oh, did they ever? Oh, the only one- Chicago stank. Cardinals were always consistent. I know. Chicago- Cardinals yeah. have been consistent the whole time. The Cardinals have been above us for 19 consecutive years. That's sad. Their record, but, better than us. But we've probably been ahead of the Cincinnati Reds for 19 consecutive years. Thank goodness. I mean, that's not saying much because they're really pathetic. No, it's not. Anyway. Um, Kids in reading. Now, we've talked about this in the past. Your kids and my kids are pretty similar age. One of the great joys of my life is being a parent and coming home and not hearing a peep in the house. No radio, no television, no stereo, none of that. And my kids are like lying either on the couch or on the floor. And they were reading Mm -hmm. books. Day after day after day after day, like hundreds of pages, mm-hmm. which harken back, I believe, to mine and your childhoods, yep. that we did the same thing. Yep. Okay, so I'm, seeing, I'm looking at an article today in a website called Offspring, and uh, here's what they say. Scholastic, the book people, the kids' book people. Oh, I used to love Scholastic because oh, that meant that you could order books and maybe they would come on Friday. Remember yeah. the weekly reader thing? I loved that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. The scholastic people, we salute you. So here's what they say. Uh, according to the report, a per- the percentage of kids defined as frequent readers, those who read books for fun five to seven days a week, hallelujah, drops from 57% among eight-year-olds to 35% among nine-year-olds. Between ages eight and nine, the number of kids who say that they love reading plummets from 40% to Mm. 28%. So the question is, what happens during that year? Mm. And more importantly, what can parents do to keep their young readers reading willingly? Don't get them a phone. Don't get them a phone. Do not get them a phone. And don't sit them in front of video games. Those are the first two things. So here's what they're saying. Don't, and I made this mistake. Don't stop reading to your kids once they learn Mm. how to read. Yeah. We used to to read all the time. Yeah, sure. You know, but then once they were up and running, I mean, I could have done, I could have read the classics with great detail, but no. Especially because you read so well. Yeah. How about um, you use the in-between moments? As kids get older, life gets busier. You can expect your kids to get an hour-long stretch of leisure mm-hmm. every night before bed. It's just not realistic. Still, there are opportunities for you to read with your children throughout the day. Okay, that sounds good. One of the things I did when my girls were little, um, and I have two girls, is when we would go somewhere... And this is from when they were babies. I would do this. I would have them each bring a bag and put a book in it. Mm-hmm. So regardless of where we went, they'd have something to look at, yeah. something to read, right? What's so cute about that is now they're 20 and 17. They still do that. They're bringing a book along? They still well, that's good. do that. They have their little bag with their book in it. <laughs> we, <laughs> seriously, we were in, when we were, uh, we were away, my daughter's 17, and we were getting ready to leave the house, and I look over, and it's what she's doing. She's putting her book in her bag. Yeah. And I thought, this is, this is just that's it. terrific. You're not six anymore, right? So you read when you were away. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and you know what was fun is my daughter and I both brought. We decided we were going to do pleasure reading. Mm-hmm. We were not going to do anything of value. Yeah, really. So um, you're not reading trashy romance novels. No, are you? I was not reading trashy romance, but I did read a great Michael Connelly, uh, Harry Bosch book. Oh, okay. He's my favorite police detective, um, and she read a fantasy uh, story, a series that she's been reading for the last I don't know four or five years. But we both finished our books. Early, which is a real problem. Yeah. Because if you're on a vacation. Now what? Now what? You know what I mean? So there was a little bit of depression at that point. She finished hers a whole day before I finished mine, and she was like, this was horrible timing. Like, I should have brought a backup book. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know? But we didn't think that But you were in ahead. California, yeah, exactly. so it couldn't have been that bad. Right? Exactly. But you know what? We didn't, we weren't online. We didn't miss watching TV. Mm. We really didn't. How were the days, the evenings in California? It's so beautiful. And there's so much good food. It's so appealing, isn't it? I it mean, really is. What were my ancestors? What was I thinking? I mean, I moved to New York. I should have moved to L.A. Right. Why or did, to, you, know. you do think, again, I ask it over and over, why did people settle here? Yeah. However, they were one thing that we, we talk about, my, my daughters and I, is when we've, when we've traveled, people say, where are you from? And you say, we're from Pittsburgh. Everybody... For the most part, at least maybe they're just trying to be nice, but I, I doubt, I think people are being sincere. They're like, oh, Pittsburgh. Now, I don't know anything about Pittsburgh, but it seems like a nice place. Huh. I think all the media about yeah, the most cities, livable friendly. city, the best city for food, all of those things have made the rounds enough that, that we were out on the other side of the country and people were like, oh, I hear Pittsburgh's a great food city. Really? I hear Pittsburgh's a really cheap city to live in so that you can go do a, yeah. And people, of course, want to talk about AB. <sighs> Did they? You want to have that conversation? Every place oh, I please, went. really. So I was like, so what, what about Antonio Brown? I thought really, oh, like, man. I can't hear enough of it at home. I have to be in the West and it, I have to answer questions about people. him. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That'll go one away. Person, one person asked about the pens. Oh, really? And I, I was so shocked that anyone would even think about hockey. And then the person could uh, confess that they had grown up in Minnesota. <laughs> so they know. Right. So that's very, why. very nice. Yeah, Minnesota. That's a nice move from Minnesota to California. You Kidding very me? smart move. You kidding me? That was very smart. Heck yeah. Okay, we'll take a break. Come back. Uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson is with us. The doctor is in. Dr. Thompson, he's a psychiatrist in private practice. We're going to talk about real empathy. Stick around. Playing Pittsburgh's favorite Christian music on the weekends with the best new music. New music music from Big Daddy Weave Alive. alive. Resurrecting by Elevation Worship. And Greatness of Our God. New from the Newsboys. The best new music and Pittsburgh's favorites. Sponsored by Trinity Jewelers. 101.5 WORD on the weekend. This Easter, celebrate the life of Christ as you break bread with family and friends and leave the cooking to Bistro to Go on the North Side with simply delicious gourmet creations sure to make your event memorable. Like brown sugar baked ham with pineapple sauce, maple glazed turkey with gravy, Bistro pecan sweet potato casserole, whole chocolate mousse cake, and so much. 
much more for intimate gatherings to grand events. All reasonably priced for pickup and ready to serve. Order now at bistroandcompany.com. My Pillows, Mike Lindell, is on a mission to help you get the best sleep of your life. Hey, this is John Hall, and he certainly helped me. I love my pillow, as you well know. But now, Mike has gone the extra mile, nearly 6,000 miles, in fact, all the way to Giza in search of the best Egyptian cotton in the world to create the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. My Pillow's Giza Dreams bed sheets, luxuriously soft, breathable, and extremely durable. One night, and you'll never want to sleep on anything else. And right now, get a special 30% off My Pillow Dream Sheets with free shipping. Use promo code WORD when you call 800-391-0954 or place your order at MyPillow.com. 60-day money-back guarantee if you're not completely satisfied. Call 800-391-0954 or visit MyPillow.com. And be sure to use the promo code WORD for 30% off plus free shipping. Call 800-391-0954 or visit MyPillow.com. Sweet dreams from MyPillow. I'm John Simmons, manager of agriculture for Tabasco brand pepper sauce. My family's made Tabasco sauce for 150 years. What am I working for? I'm working to stay true to our family recipe. At ADP, we're designing a better way to work so you can achieve what you're working for. HR, talent, time, benefits, and payroll. Informed by data and designed for people. Learn more at design.adp.com. ADP, always designing for people. Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville is everything you need to protect your car or truck all winter long. Say goodbye to winter grind with an extreme detailing to help preserve the life and look of your vehicle. Got a new car? Protect your investment with TST Rust Remedy, the most effective rust control system you'll find anywhere. And spray-on bullet bed liners offer extreme protection tested in the most extreme conditions known to man. Call the Extreme team now at 412-257-1006 or visit extremetruck.net. 412-257-1006, extremetruck.net. There's the job you have and the job you deserve. One that rewards your talent, your education, your goals. One that values loyalty and hard work. One that makes you feel like you're making a difference for yourself, your family, your world. Find it Thursday, March 28th at the Word FM Job Fair, 11 to 3 at the Pittsburgh Plaza Hotel Green Tree, where high-caliber companies find high-caliber candidates like you. There's no harm in looking, and it's free to attend. The Word FM Job Fair, presented by Salem Media Group. Details at wordfm.com slash jobfair. Empathy. One of those words that gets thrown around an awful lot. And confused with sympathy. <laughs> right. Because I, every time I go to use it, I say, wait a minute, which is the thing when you have experienced it yourself? Which, <laughs> yeah. which is that? Dr. Kurt Thompson is with us. Dr. Thompson is a psychiatrist in private practice in Falls Church, Virginia. His latest book is called The Soul of Shame, Retelling the Stories We Believe About Ourselves, here today to talk to us about empathy. Kurt, welcome to the show. John and Kathy, so great to be here. Thanks so much. I'm trusting that I'm not the only one who gets these confused. So talk about which is empathy and which is sympathy. Well, I think uh, one thing to say right off the bat is that um, we use words to describe certain states of mind. So it's easy for us to think that, you know, this word sympathy and this word empathy uh, always means the same thing to other people, and as if, like, the brain is paying attention to our dictionary usages and knows exactly what we're talking about every time we use these words. Uh, that it can feel confusing is, I think, uh, a function of how much we're really talking about some of the, about two things that are really very, very closely linked. Mm. So one thing that we would say about 
anytime we human beings feel something related to someone else. So if we see someone suffering, we say, oh, we feel sympathy for them. And then if we say that, oh, we're feeling what they're feeling, I feel what they feel, I feel that, we might say, oh, we feel empathy. When in fact, in order for me to feel sympathy or empathy, it requires A, that I am actually aware that someone else is experiencing something that appears to me to be of some kind of suffering nature. And, and we might be surprised, or maybe not, to learn that there are a lot of us out there who can be with people, see people suffering, and it doesn't really register with us. It doesn't really, you know, this happens with parents all the time that, uh, I, I mean, parents who are loving parents, kind parents, but who are upset because their child has done something. And in that moment, I'm so overwhelmed as a parent, and believe me, I've been in this place, I'm so overwhelmed with my irritation or my impatience that I don't recognize or it doesn't register with me what my child is sensing or feeling because my brain is too overwhelmed with my own distress. Mm-hmm. And so we use the word empathy, I think, functionally as uh, to distinguish it from sympathy because we're really trying to get at this idea that I'm feeling something with someone else. But not only that, I really want them to be aware that I'm feeling mm. what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not just like sensing sympathetically something from a distance. I want them to be aware of my being able to feel what they feel. I, I don't, I, maybe, maybe that's, I hope that's being Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so let me tell you the first thing I thought of. Uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend before, uh, Chelsea Clinton famously, famously um, was videotaped in an altercation with a young woman who is uh, of Palestinian origin. And um, the young woman was upset with Chelsea Clinton because Chelsea Clinton had, it's kind of a confusing story if you're not familiar with it, but if you are, you're going to understand where I'm going. Chelsea Clinton had said several days previous that she was critical of uh, Representative Omar, um, U.S. Representative Omar, because she had said comments that were anti-Semitic. Chelsea Clinton is married to a Jewish man, and she said that she thought there was no place in the Democratic Party for anti-Semitic. And then, of course, the shooting in New Zealand happened a few days later. And this young, fast forward to the video, this young Palestinian woman goes up to Chelsea Clinton. It's all on video in a public place. And she says that because of what you said, this is what happened. So your statements translate to this guy shooting up the mosque in New Zealand. But the the thing that um, to me was the most gotcha moment as far as like a cultural touch point was her saying, I, she's pointed to Chelsea Clinton and she said, I want you to know this and I want you to feel this. I want you to feel that this is your fault. Right. And in that moment, Chelsea Clinton on the video took her hands and sort of clutched her chest as if she was actually feeling that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I'm, I'm not familiar with that particular interchange or that video, but even as you're describing it, as I'm picturing it in my mind, one of the things that, and and not that this is too far off off, uh, the beaten path here, but one of the things that we talk about when we talk about revenge, for instance, we think that revenge is only an act of violence, when in fact revenge is an act that is seeking to, um, uh, it, it is seeking empathy. Right. If you kill my son, if you kill my son, 
of course, I can only imagine I'm going to kill your son in return. And at some level, I can, we, we, can all, we all get that. Yes, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But what we aren't paying attention to is what the brain is really looking for, what our souls are really looking for. You see, if you kill my son, I'm not going to kill your son just because it's an eye for an eye. I'm going to kill your son because at some level my soul, my brain, recognizes that it does not want to be alone in its grief. And the only way that I can know that I'm not by myself, that I can elicit the same felt sense in someone else, is if they are having the same suffering. Mm. When I commit this act of vengeance, what I'm really doing is saying to you, I do not want to be alone in my grief. I'm not just making you pay. I'm inviting you to be with me. Mm. So I want you to feel what I feel. Of course, because here's the thing. It is not good for man to be alone. This is foundational uh, Judeo-Christian anthropology. God forms us as people who are made to live together. There is no such thing in biological nature as an individual human brain that flourishes by itself. That does not exist. And so even when we talk about atonement, I mean, in this season of Lent, when we talk about what, you know, Jesus moving to the cross, that whole sense of atonement, of at-one-ment, this sense of God saying to us in empathy, I know where you are, I feel what you feel, I'm going to take on what you take on, but God can do this for two reasons. One, because he's not doing it alone. This is why Trinitarian theology is such a big deal for us as believers, that God doesn't do anything by himself. And moreover, God sees Easter coming. And so when I part of what part of what is important about being empathic with someone, when a parent can be empathic with their child, when a boss can be empathic with her or his employee, when we can be empathic with enemies. It has everything to do, not just that I can feel what they feel, but I can feel something in addition to that. God doesn't just feel our pain. God feels our pain with one hand in Good Friday, with one leg in Good Friday, and also one leg in Easter, because he has something beyond just what we feel. When someone is drowning in a pool, the lifeguard moves with empathy, But that person who's drowning doesn't just want the guard to feel what they feel. They want the guard to be able to feel something in addition to that. I need to be able, I want to know that if you're feeling me empathically, your empathy makes a difference for me primarily because there is a part of me that really believes that there is something within you that is going to be able to take me beyond Mm -hmm. this pain where I am which we as as Christians would say, that's what Easter is all about. Easter is about God coming right into the center of all of our Good Fridays, empathically, and actually not necessarily, not necessarily giving us everything we want. He's giving us something beyond our imagination. And so it's curious. Like, again, I didn't see the video, but I would be hard-pressed to believe that the Palestinian woman, when she said that to Chelsea, would have predicted or expected for Chelsea to have responded with empathy, responded with some sense of heartfelt um, compassion. 
And that heartfelt sense of compassion, that moment of empathy, here's the beautiful thing about it. There's nothing more than that, than what our minds are looking for. Every baby comes into the world looking for someone looking for her. And when a baby comes into the world naked, like she's cold, she's hungry, she's upset, and that cry evokes empathy. We come with blankets, we come with milk, we come with warmth, we come with nourishment. And that longing for that kind of connection, for us to be seen by the other in our travail, in our suffering, that never stops. Dr. Kurt Thompson is with us. Uh, Kurt is a uh, psychiatrist in private practice in Falls Church, Virginia. His latest book is called The Soul of Shame, Retelling the Stories That We Believe About Ourselves. So I I wonder, Kurt, um, with your children, with our children, I imagine this is true, that empathy is a learned skill. Mm, Indeed. You know, it's it's funny. Um, we, We tell people, you know, we, some people think, well, you know, I'm, you know, my, uh, my friend is empathic. I'm not empathic. I don't just do empathy. You know, it's kind of like I have brown hair, you have blonde hair. I don't get the blonde, so I, like, I am sorry, I can't get it. I don't do that. <laughs> right, right. But here's the thing. Um, one of the things that we say about uh, all intentional human behavior, all human behavior that we do with intention, if I'm just uh, if I have a pen in my hand, I'm just spinning it aimlessly. I don't have any intention with that. But if I lift a glass of milk to drink it, I have to do that with great intention. I do that I'm on purpose. I have intention. And here's an interesting thing. We have within our minds, within our brain, series and networks of neurons called mirror neurons. These mirror neurons are literally designed to do that very thing. If you are lifting a glass of water to drink it, and I see you doing that because it is an act of intention, I have mirror neurons in my brain that will fire, and what they are doing is that they are getting the motor neurons, for instance, those neurons that would be responsible for helping me lift my glass to my lips to drink it, those mirror neurons get my motor neurons ready to do their work. I mirror your action when your action is done with intention. If your action is done just kind of casually without intention, my mirror neurons do not turn on. That doesn't mean that I have to lift my glass. It simply means that I am prepared to do something anytime I witness someone else do something with intention. Now, here's the thing. All intentional human behavior, we learn through mimicry. I don't know how to do anything with intention that I haven't seen or learned from somebody else. I have to watch you drink with your cup, watch you brush your teeth, watch you drive the car, or I have to have that experience done to me. Here's the the real thing. Empathy is an act of intentional behavior. It is not just something that I either feel or I don't feel. It is something that I act with intention. Mm -hmm. And so if I've never had anybody be empathic with me before, I won't know how to do that. Interesting. But if I've never had it and then someone does offer it to me and I am a witness of it, either I watch it happen between people or I have it extended to me, it 
activates and turns on those neurons in my mind that had been dormant, that had been asleep, such that I am now enabled to be empathic with others around me. I see. And so, so with our children, with our children, what we're doing is we're not just being empathic with them. We are training them how to do that themselves. I see. So what about, what about reading about empathy? I mean, look at the empathy of Jesus. Um, is there a possibility that by reading the Gospels, we engage in empathetic behavior with ourselves? It's a, it's a great question, too, there, John, because, you know, we're, it turns out we're really wordy people in the West. We're really wordy people, much more wordy than people are in the Middle East. And by wordy, I don't mean that they don't speak as many words. I mean, we depend so much more on logical, linear processing. We depend upon the sense that the gospel is a series of facts that somebody just presents to us. If I just read it as a set of facts, I read this story about Jesus, somehow that should translate. But here's the thing. My ability to sense empathy in a story isn't just that I read facts about what Jesus did. It would have to do with my ability to picture in my mind, in my right hemisphere, not so much my logical, linear, linguistic, processing left hemisphere, can I picture in my mind Jesus turning to Zacchaeus and saying, dude, I want to come to your house for dinner tonight. So when we say, one of the, you know, in terms of spiritual practices for people that we give to our patients, we talk about how important it is for when they read the Gospels, for them to do journaling work, for them to imagine in their mind what do you see Jesus doing? What does he look like? Where is the well where he's having the conversation with the woman? How is she dressed? What's the tone of his voice? How are you picturing him? When he's weeping at Lazarus's tomb, what do you sense? When you see Jesus seeing you, what do you see in his face? All these kinds of practices are the same kinds of things that are important for us anytime we're doing any spiritual formation work, that invites us into real embodied contact with others. This is why small group work is so important, why our connection with people who are asking us questions about ourselves and not just what we might call accountability groups, but what we would call those groups that are really intentional about enabling us to be known deeply, especially in those parts of our lives that we tend to hate the most in order for healing to become a possibility and therefore also translate that healing to other people through our own empathic response. It's fascinating. Wow. Dr. Kurt Thompson. Yeah, thank you, Kurt. The author of The Soul of Shame, Retelling the Stories We Believe About Ourselves. Dr. Kurt Thompson, a psychiatrist in private practice. Where else are you going to hear that? No, nowhere else. Fabulous, isn't it? Empathy. Stick around. You watch what you eat. You're hitting the gym. You're doing your best to live a healthy life. But did you know that a bad night's sleep and a bad mattress can have a big impact on your health? Here at the Original Mattress Factory, our hand-built mattresses made of the highest quality materials provide the comfort and support needed to provide healthy sleep for years to come. To learn more about how the right mattress can help you achieve healthy sleep habits, visit OriginalMattress.com or stop by an Original Mattress Factory store near you. The gimmicks, the flashy sales, and the big markups. Mattress stores have made the mattress shopping experience confusing on purpose. Ron Trzinski started the original mattress factory to create a better way. He raised the bar on quality, offered hand-built mattresses for a fraction of the cost, 
and ditch the high-pressure sales tactics, all to create a better mattress buying experience for you. You could say he was the original disruptor. Stop by an Original Mattress Factory store or visit us at OriginalMattress.com to see the OMF difference for yourself. Have you racked up more than $10,000 in credit card debt? Are you barely getting by, making minimum payments? You should know. The credit card companies are tricking you into thinking there's no way out. Credit card companies would rather you didn't know that there are ways you can become debt-free and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. There are debt relief programs that help people like you escape overwhelming credit card debt. National Debt Relief has helped tens of thousands of people just like you reduce more than $500 million of debt. National Debt Relief has helped so many people, they're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. You don't have to declare bankruptcy or take out a consolidation loan. You have the right to settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Reduce a large portion of your debt now. Call National Debt Relief at 800-694-7394. 800-694-7394. That's 800-694-7394. Texting has changed everything in relationship with our kids. Um, I, my parents rarely called me after I left home. That's just how it was. But my kid, he's up at Grove City College where he's a junior. More often than not, he'll text me at least once a day. Hey, just thinking about you or, you know, just touching base. But I hadn't heard from him for a few days, so I texted him over the weekend. I said, hey, what's going on, man? And he texted back. He said, I'll call you back in a little bit. I'm in a study group right now with six other guys. And so when he called back, I asked about that. I said, what's this study group like? And the cool thing about it was... It was a study group for something that was invested in theology. And I love this idea that there's a bunch of guys sitting around a table, the way he described it, in a private room, and they're talking about theology. I mean, holy smokes. Talk about iron sharpening iron. Now, look, I don't, I know this. My kid's at Grove City College. Like I said, he's a, genius, a junior. He's getting himself a great education. Plus, the backbone of it all is the life and death of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe. That's the center of Grove City College. It's the center of my boy's life, the center of our family's life, the center of the future. I love Grove City College. If you're thinking about sending your child to a college next year or somewhere in the future, do yourself a big favor. Check out Grove City College. You'll love what you're going to find. GCC.edu. That's Grove City College. to partly cloudy tonight, not quite as cold as last night. The low 37 degrees tomorrow becoming mostly cloudy and milder. With a passing shower or two in the afternoon, highs right around 60 degrees. Mild tomorrow night with clouds and a shower, low 48. Cloudy for Friday with a couple of showers, high 58 degrees. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Danielle Niddle on 101.5 Word FM. Okay, so what about religion and politics? Right, we've asked this question over and over again for 2,000 years. I mean, what, what was the question that was given to Jesus? Right. You know, how do you, what, what do you, what do you render? How do you, you give my allegiance? And he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God what is God's. That's a cryptic response to a question that we are still asking. Yes. Okay, so here in the state of Pennsylvania, 
it's raised its head again because yesterday um, a legislature, someone in the uh, the state house, a state representative. Stephanie Borowitz. She prayed as the um, proceedings got underway. And the, the main thrust of the proceedings was that someone was going to be uh, sworn in. Uh, a Muslim woman sworn in to take over a seat that had been vacated. And it was the very first Muslim woman that would be sworn in to the Pennsylvania House. Right. So State Rep. Uh, Stephanie Borowitz, she prayed. And did she pray and pray? I mean, it was a powerful prayer. The question is, was it appropriate for the time and the place and the setting? Let's play this prayer, Mike. Representative Borowitz. Thank you, Speaker. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this privilege, Lord, of letting me pray, God, that I, Jesus, am your ambassador here today, standing here representing you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, the one who's coming back again, the one who came, died, and rose again on the third day. And I'm so privileged to stand here today. So thank you for this honor, Jesus. God, for those that came before us, like George Washington and Valley Forge and Abraham Lincoln, who sought after you in Gettysburg, Jesus, and the Founding Fathers in Independence Hall, Jesus, that sought after you and fasted and prayed for this nation to be founded on your principles and your words and your truths. God, forgive us. Jesus, we've lost sight of you. We've forgotten you, God, in our country. And we're asking you to forgive us, Jesus, that your promise in your word says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their wicked ways, that you'll heal our land. Jesus, you are our only hope. God, I pray for our leader, Speaker Terzai, Leader Cutler, Governor Wolf, President Trump. Lord, thank you that he stands beside Israel unequivocally, Lord. Thank you that, Jesus, that we're blessed because we stand by Israel. And we ask for the peace of Jerusalem, as your word says, God. We ask that we not be overcome by evil and that we overcome evil with good in this land once again. I claim all these things in the powerful mighty name of jesus the one who at at the name of jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess jesus that you are lord in jesus name amen that's a big prayer it's a powerful prayer but from my perspective it was a misplaced prayer wrong place for the prayer because render unto caesar and especially because there were people who were in attendance who were not focusing on the prayer of Jesus. They were wanting to do legislative business. So is it good and proper to pray the name of Jesus as legislation gets underway? Call us, 800-320-8255. We'd love to hear from you on this. Stephanie Borowitz, that's the clip you just heard, on the floor of the Pennsylvania State House. That was the opening prayer. Now, I did a little bit of research because I, I didn't know when the opening prayer was, like at the start. Well, it, it's a customary opening prayer. It kicks off every single Pennsylvania legislative session day. Every day? Every day. Wow. So t- everybody takes turns then? Right. If you're so inclined. Right. What are your thoughts? I'm with you. I mean, it feels like church. That's big time church, wouldn't you say? Well, to me, it seemed like praying to make a point. Uh, But, and I feel, part of me feels, 
unsteady for saying that because I don't know her and I don't know her heart. And so I don't want to judge her falsely. But at the same time, this was shortly before the legislature was swearing in its first Muslim woman. Everybody knew that. And so it just, to me, kind of smacked of, okay, I'm going to put this in your face that this has always been a historically Christian nation. Uh, Our president supports Israel. Therefore, we're being blessed. And that's what it that's what it seemed like to me. She was making. See, I I don't know if that's true. I I don't know if that's true either. That's why I feel badly saying it. But that's how it sounds to me. Well, because what what sounded to me, why I love the prayer is that she was deeply emotionally bought into that. I mean, there were a few times uh, I'm reading this, I'm listening to this, and you can hear her voice break, that she's about to cry. She's so invested in the prayer. So to me, that's beautiful. I just think it was the wrong place. I feel like that is really bringing your personal piety into the politics of the country. And I think that that is a recipe for disaster. I do. That that your piety precedes you first and foremost I just feel like, on display. I feel like linking them like that is not good for any of us. And Eight, I, I'm not sure it's good for her. 800-320-8255. Let's go to the phones and uh, speak with Donna. Hey, Donna, you're live on the air with Kath and myself. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm great. Thank you. Excellent. What are your I, thoughts? I thought the prayer was beautiful. Yeah. And I, I really think we shouldn't be ashamed of when we pray. Um, yeah, I'm not saying we should. Because, I'm not saying we should be ashamed of where we pray. And I, I think we should not be a, worry about offending people because I think we have to be true to who we are, and we've lost sight of that in our country. I think it'd be important, though, for someone who was close to her to ask her the hard question: Would you have prayed that way if it wasn't the day that the first Muslim was being sworn in in the state house? I'll buy that, and I. And I don't want to feel as Maybe. though we're apologizing. I don't want to apologize for my prayer life, for my faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, of course not. And, I know, but but there, isn't there a fine line between being a witness and being a nudge? Donna, what do you think? I don't. I don't really think there is. I think we we have to stand up for what we believe in and we are ambassadors for Christ and we have to do the hard things and we have to say the things that are on our heart when the spirit moves us. And I, I commend her for that. And, uh, I don't look at it as she was trying to be offensive to anyone or offend anyone. Um, I mean, our, our enemy is within in our country right now. I agree. And I think that's, that is the, the issue. I agree. So we can't we can't make it about um, Muslims and Christians. I mean, we were. Yeah, but, fine. I, but we I, were that's what Christ- I feel. Like, what I feel like she did was make it about Muslims and Christians. That's what I don't like about it. I feel like she all of a sudden made it. And again, if this is if this is your church or your home or on your street corner, like I've got no problem with that. But the fact that she's sworn in as an elected leader in the United States, that doesn't mean that she leaves her faith behind. Of course not, because our faith informs everything. But you're also recognizing that this is a legislative body that's for all of Pennsylvania. People who believe, people who don't believe anything. Jews, Muslims, right. agnostic, atheist, whomever, right? 
Right. I, you know, I think that's probably the dividing line. And I'll, I'll side on Kath with that. But I, you're right, Donna. I, I'm not, you know, not going to apologize for your faith. But where's the right place and where's the right time? Let's go back to the phones. 800-320-8255. You want to chime in on this? Uh, Frank, you're with us. What are your thoughts, please? Uh, hi, folks. So uh, just to be clear, did you say that this goes, this prayer, the opportunity for someone, one of the legislature, legislators to speak a prayer happens every day? Yes. Okay, so if that's the case, she was not doing anything out of the ordinary. She wasn't doing she anything was out of the ordinary. Turn, no, no, I, I'm just, no, all I was saying is I wonder if she would have prayed the same way if it was a different day on the legislative calendar when a Muslim woman was not being sworn in. Well, I mean, it's a could, could be a good question, but it, it, if, if this was something that of the norm of the typical legislative agenda every day, then she didn't do anything wrong. Well, and, I'm, and, and yeah, I think I, in, go ahead. I don't think anyone. Uh, it's not like she was praying when she shouldn't have been praying because this happens every day. But um, the right. prayer was long. Uh, the Speaker of yeah. the House is Mike Terzai, and he started yeah. elbowing her um, during the prayer uh, because he was concerned either about what she was saying or about the fact that it was going on as long as it was. Now, well, the co- let, let yeah. me just read you the commentary. Representative Jordan Harris, who's a high-ranking Democrat, calls himself a devout Christian. He said, quote, I'm a Christian. I believe in Christ. What I believe is Christ's teaching more than anything, and his teaching would not be about and was not about dividing us as a people, but uniting us as a people. I, I didn't see hear anything in that prayer that was divisive. I mean, there is going to be division if you are Muslim versus Christian, Jew versus Christian, just right. as a matter of course. But there was nothing in the prayer that was anti uh, anybody I, that I heard. You don't. You don't hear that. See, to me, it sounds nudgy. It sounds like she's trying what to. What? It's what? a nudgy. That's a na- that's a word. Perhaps I've made up. Wait, when she says that every knee should bow at the name of Jesus. Do you think that was she was being I thought, provocative? There? I thought she was. To me, it sounded like she was being provocative by saying the name of Jesus as many times as she said it. Hmm. And the well, fact that she, ask, the fact that she brought up, and this is perhaps is a different subject, the fact that she brought up the fact that our president supports you know, Israel, supports Israel, and that we're going to be blessed as long as we support Israel, which is a valid theological position, but not a theological position that's shared by everybody. And it's not. Well, I don't. I don't think that that's. that's a, I don't think that's an appropriate thing to be talking about in that way. I don't think it represents the faith of Christianity well because there's a vast swath of opinion on that. So when this new representative who uh, was sworn in gets his or her turn to pray, uh, say the opening prayer, and it's a Muslim prayer to Allah, is everyone then to be offended by that? Well, I all I, mean, I know I'm, is that she. I, I, I'm not a. I'm not a follower of Allah. I would sit there and listen to the prayer. Of course, I would right. protest. Well, apparently they did pray to Allah because when she was being sworn in, they, they she read they from, the from the Quran. Right. She read exactly. from the Quran. Okay. All I know is, I so, bet if she gets to pray, she's going to bring it. Right. We could take a break. Sorry, we're up against the clock. Mike's going nuts. Uh, stick around. 800-320-8255. We're taking phone calls, and never this uh, short window is. Oh wow. It's me, Marsha, at the Springhouse. Did you know Easter's springing up on us? And quickly, too. Do you know what that means at the Springhouse? Well, first of all, it means you can enjoy the freshest, tastiest fried or baked cod every Friday night on the farm. 
It also means it's time to call and order your Springhouse Easter goodies. Our hickory smoked hams are extra special. We use only real hickory wood from the farm to slowly smoke these old-fashioned treats to perfection. Order a whole or half, and we'll send along cooking instructions, too. Mmm, how about Springhouse scalloped potatoes and homemade applesauce to go without ham? Finish off your meal with a from-scratch Springhouse coconut cream pie or custard pie or a chocolate log cake. Oh, and you can even decorate your table with our adorable bunny breads and eat them, too. Easter also means our annual Springhouse Easter egg hunt and Palm Sunday feast. Check us out at springhousemarket.com for all the details. Celebrate this most joyous holiday at the Springhouse in 84, Pennsylvania. Hi. I'm John Henney from Henney Jewelers. Since 1887, my family has helped people celebrate the most memorable moments in their lives. We are rooted in faith and commit to doing the right thing again and again. We believe in the covenant of marriage and use our to have and to hold program to encourage couples as they prepare to spend the rest of their lives together. Please stop into our Shadyside store to learn more or visit HenneyJewelers.com. Henney Jewelers, your jewelers for life. Okay, so our time is very short. Let's go right to the phones and uh, talk about the prayer yesterday at the uh, opening of the uh, PA House, our state representatives. Hey, Gordana, thanks for joining us on air. Uh, Give us your take, please. Hey, I love listening to you guys. I listen to you guys every day. Thank you. Nonstop. Uh, I had one thing I did want to ask you about, John. When you said give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, give unto God what is God's. I was always taught under the impression that that was a time when... They were asking Jesus about tithing and the tax collectors and everything else, stating that you know, we should willingly pay our taxes and we should willingly tithe to God and so forth. Am I mistaken on that? Well, it's, yeah. not, it's not about tithing. It's, it, the question was about paying Allegiance. taxes to, see the, to Caesar. It was, uh, this, right. is, this is Matthew 22. And they were trying to trap Jesus because the, the Pharisees that had asked the questions were loyal to the king. Um, and so by asking the question, you know, well, do we pay, pay t- taxes or not? If Jesus said yes to that, then he was going to be coming down on the side of King Herod. But if he said no, to that, then he was not going to be, and he was going to be inflaming one sect over another sect and basically taking a political position. But Jesus was smart enough to say, I recognize that you're trying to trap me. Why are you trying to do this? Give me a coin. Brought him the denarius, and he said, whose who's picture's on this? And he said, Caesar. And they said, okay, surrender to Caesar. What is Caesar's? But render to God. What is God's? That, to me, is, of course, not surprisingly, since it's Jesus, that is the ultimate wisdom in this, is that People try to trap you and try to get you as a believer in Jesus to come down on one political side or another political side all the time. So do you feel that it was a separate, what he was trying to come across is to separate states from uh, religion? Well, I because don't... Because our country was founded on religion. Yeah, geez, I'm not. I don't. I don't feel like I have. I don't feel like I have enough depth of understanding to be able to tell you that. Um, One thing I can say is that our country was founded on the freedom to worship. That was what it was founded on. It was not founded on a government based on religion. It was a government that was allowing people to worship on their own and freely. Right. And as far as the prayer, I'm with your other callers. I. Unless we know her personal intent, to me it sounded like a sincere prayer yeah. that it wasn't directed at to exclude anybody. But 
Yeah. Oh, sorry, we could take a break. Yeah, sorry. We're, we're up against the clock. Block. Sorry, Gordana. Yeah, but appreciate the phone calls. Uh, we got just a smidge more time. Maybe we'll try to squeeze another phone call in. It's so nice now that the kids are asleep. Cheers. We got the kids, our house, a stable income. Checking off all the boxes. But there's one box we haven't checked off. What's that? Life insurance. We don't need to think about that now. We're young. That's why now is the best time. Life insurance gets more expensive the older you get. But I don't have time to do a blood test. It's such a hassle to meet with someone just to get a quote. Not with Ethos. Ethos? It's a modern kind of life insurance. You just answer four quick questions at getethos.com and get a free instant quote. No pushy salespeople. And no medical exams required for policies covering under a million dollars. You can apply online in just 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Let's do it. Hmm. But then what will we do for the rest of the night? I'm sure we can think of something. (laughs) Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Getethos.com. Getethos.com. Right now, there's a child living in extreme poverty with no future and no hope. But you can bring hope when you become a Compassion International sponsor. Just text the word CHILD to 83393 and sponsor a child right now. Okay, so we opened up a can of worms, and uh, now there's not a whole lot of time to divulge those. Okay, let's go back to the phones. Mike, uh, you're with Kath and myself. you got like a minute or so. What do you got? Okay, real quick. I agree with you both. I can see your points. Um, I'm a nationalist. Uh, these people keep getting elected. I mean, what, what's next? Sharia, Sharia law? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> she made that. The legislator made a point. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I, I got. I got the impression it's now or never for her. So she got. She got our digs in. Okay, that's mm-hmm. all I want to say. Have a good night. Yeah. Okay, okay, Mike. It makes sense. Easy enough. All right. Eight hundred three two zero eight two five five. Sand. Uh, Sandy. Uh, thanks for hanging in there. T- tell us your points. Hi. Um, real quick, I just wanted to say that. I'm so proud of, of this woman for being bold, and Jesus is coming back soon. We don't have time to be timid, and if you get a chance to pray, like, I, I just am, I really admire her for being so bold, and um, I think she was a witness to people, and I hope that um, even the people who oppose her can appreciate her love for the Lord. Yeah, and I hope so. And as far as for Trump, um, what she said about Israel, I mean, that is true. Um, that's a biblical principle that God will bless those who, who bless you and bless him and curse those who curse him. So um, I just am really excited that she prayed that, and I hope that everybody uh, that can vote for her does. Thank you, Sandy. Well, we're going to try to return to this topic tomorrow. We've got so many uh, lines lit up right now. Yeah. There's a lot of people who want to talk about it. I think it's, it's worthwhile. I think it's worthwhile talking about how our uh, personal piety affects how we speak in public, especially if we're an elected official. I also think it's worthwhile talking about um, supporting the nation of Israel. Right. And because I, a lot of people see that as a biblical principle, a lot of people who are believers in Jesus and who read the Bible Bible don't see supporting the current nation of Israel as a biblical principle. So people have different perspectives on that. No doubt. People I mean, look, see Israel as meaning different things. I'm I'm a little anxious when my pastor, 
which he never does, if starts to preach politics from the pulpit. So at the same time, whenever we're, I mean, it's all of a sudden it became a prayer service when there's business to take care of. I'm not, believe me, this was a beautiful prayer. It was a strong prayer. But there is some underpinnings there that make me anxious. That's all I'm saying. In the setting, to me, it sounded like she was trying to make a point. I don't think that's the purpose of prayer, and I don't think that's the purpose of being an elected official. Maybe we should call her and get it from the horse's mouth. I'd love to do that. Have yourself a great night. God willing, we'll see you same time tomorrow. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Word FM and Salem Communications.